Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm so happy you're here. Today we are sitting down to talk with my old friend, my very close friend, Nia Ferrier. She is Australian-born, but living in Dubai. She opened Ashtanga Yoga Dubai, which was really the first dedicated Ashtanga Yoga Mysore program in Dubai at the time. And she's gone on to open her own studio in her own location called the Nilaya House. And she's just a really beautiful human being who's tapped into this great cosmic mother energy and just channeling this sort of divine goddess um, from within her and creating all kinds of beautiful things, spaces, communities. She has her own textile company. Um, It's just really amazing to see all of the work that she's doing in the world and all of the many incredible products that she's bringing to life. So we wanted to introduce you to Nia. Um, She's going to talk a lot about tapping into our own cycles as women, into the natural cycle of um, our hormones, our menstrual cycle, the cycles in nature, the seasons, and um, how this starts to change not only um, how we connect to others and how we connect to ourselves, but uh, you know, deepening our intuition, deepening our awareness of, of what's coming up and what's going on and giving ourselves um, the proper time to nourish and replenish and to uh, step into this sort of more spiral-like um, existence rather than thinking of the practice even as a linear sort of growth projection, looking at it more in the sense of a spiral or a circle um, and that everything's coming uh, back around again and it gives us the opportunity to keep looking, to keep learning, to keep starting over, to go into periods um, that are more restful and then move into periods of more activity. Uh, so there's just so many juicy little bits here. I know you're going to love listening to Nia. And you can also practice with Nia online this week uh, during the Three and a Half Acres nonprofit fundraiser. If you have not made your donation yet, please do get a ticket, come practice with Nia. She will be teaching on December 16th. Uh, she'll be chanting the Gayatri Mantra and then leading a primary series class. And she'll be followed by Angela Jameson on December 18th, which is a Saturday. And Angela will be giving a lecture on narcissism and cosmic consciousness, which sounds incredible. And then you can come practice with me on Sunday, December 19th, for a guided lead primary series class um, and yoga nidra. So a deep relaxation following the practice. And that will also then be followed by Nina Rao chanting. Uh, If you have not heard Nina Rao chanting, she is absolutely incredible. Her voice is divine. And talk about channeling goddess energy. Um, 
you know, this is a great weekend to tap into that divine energy, starting with the Gayatri Mantra with Nia on Thursday or Friday, depending on where you are in the world, and then continuing on with the teachings of Angela Jameson, myself, and then ending again with some more chanting by Nina Rao on the 19th. And you can join Lisa Schremp, who is herself a beautiful practitioner and woman. We've also had her on the podcast as well. You can um, practice with her and understand about balancing the vata dosha on Tuesday, December 21st. And that will also be followed uh, later that day um, by some more chanting by Krishna Das. So lots of amazing things coming up. I hope that you tune in. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful week coming up of practice and classes. So I look forward to seeing you online. And without uh, any further delay, I will turn you over to just absorb the uh, humor and the lightness and the, the beautiful goddess energy of my dear friend, Nia Ferrier. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Harmony, and I'm here with Russell Case. Um, <clears throat> Harmony, we've had another letter in from our, our listening audience. I just wanted to know if I could uh, share it here. Sure, I guess. Our, um, one of, a friend of the show, uh, oh. our listener, uh, Robbie Cavallero from San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, he's written in, he said he was watching the... Uh, succession last night on HBO, and he noticed that Tom Wamsgams was uh, uh, charting Shiv's menstrual flow. And he just said he had some questions, and he wanted to know if our guest today, Nia Ferrier, could help us uh, with charting the flow of menstruation. I think Tom was going to he was going to be imprisoned and he wanted to impregnate his wife that's right he wanted yeah. to impr- he wanted to shiv he wanted to knock up shiv who's from the actress is from australia very much like our guest today oh. nia Ferry, how are you nia hi nia <laughs> I'm, I'm great there were so many things in that opening i didn't even know what you were talking about um Anyway, we'll, we'll get onto that. Certainly, yeah, no. you can illuminate me because I'm just from down under. So there's something right. that goes in my head. So yeah, gotta, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Help me. Um, <laughs> hopefully, your menstrual cycle isn't over your head. It should be, you know, no, well I'm, underneath I, you. Actually, I actually worked out well. I'm right in what's called my summer, which is my peak time for productivity, lucidity. So I couldn't have planned this better, actually. Get oh, me goodness. in a week's time, I'll be entering the autumn, which could also make for interesting chats because I won't hold back. Um, yeah, I'll yeah, yeah. probably tell it as it is. So uh, for the next, the follow-up one, we'll, we'll do it in the autumn because that, that's the straight shooting time. But I'm, yeah, I'm happy to be in the summer um, now. That's next year, isn't it? Isn't that next no. year? <laughs> no, no, no. I loved no. that. I loved that, Nia, when we were on the uh, Women in Ashtanga pa- panel and you were – relating the menstrual cycle to the seasons um that was just so yeah, i was I mean, like oh sure. i love this yeah it's it's definitely not my work it's from um the book that i read was called wild power but it's the analogy that i think really resonates with me um and i've been able to then i find it very easy to then if i'm trying to explain to somebody why you might want to think about observing your menstrual cycle 
explaining the seasons that seems to make sense. And also to me, it's like, this is like the way that we connect your, like our physical inner yoga practice with the greater cosmos because we are connected and we are connected to the seasons. So yeah. and we have our moon and our outer moon. Yeah, I love that. And that was when I was in Mysore, um, that was sort of the first time I heard the menstrual cycle. Someone said, oh, my wife's on her moon days. And I was like, oh, that's a nice way to think about it too. You know, we were just yeah, talking in the car the, the other day. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Nia. We were just talking in the car the other day how v- very rarely does anyone moon anyone. <laughs> that's anymore. a different kind of moon. Yeah. You know, it seemed to be something like that, that our parents' generation, the baby boomers, the baby mooners, like they only, like they're really the only people that you hear about mooning anyone. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. Different kind it of moon. so now sweet and naive to just moon somebody. Right. Like I'd be happy right. if that was our main offenses was mooning. But yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of old fashioned and quaint now. It is quaint yeah. to take your nether mm. regions and sort of display them, <laughs> you know, ass to elbow up against the car window. It's and very funny. It's, yeah. it's a funny Why thing did to your do. parents do that so often? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Yeah. Huh. Um, but, to my parents listening, I'm not assuming in any way that, that this <laughs> podcast is implying that you've ever mooned somebody. No, anyway, they have, though. On. They're boomers. They're, they're boomer <laughs> moomers. Yeah. Mm. It's like their signature move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how we know that, that they're not the great generation, are they? Um, I just want to introduce Nia for our listening audience in case some of them may not know who she is. They, they sh- you all should, though. Uh, Nia Ferrier uh, established Ashtanga Yoga Dubai in 2013. Nilaya House, Shala, followed in 2017, following offering a full range of yoga classes, which she runs and teaches from. She received Level 2 authorization from Sharachi Joyce in 2010. An avid student of yoga philosophy, in addition, she runs an ethical textile business, working with local Indian women to ensure fair conditions and pay. And, uh, yeah, you're going to be discussing the female, female <clears throat> menstrual cycle. That's exciting. <laughs> Amongst a lot of other where, things. Where, where are you today, Nia? <laughs> are you in Dubai? I'm in Dubai, and oh, we're wow. in the season of Dubai. Actually, we're, we're in the autorum season, funny enough. I'm sure there's a lot of we're, heavy flow the, the in weather Dubai. Is, you know, Dubai has a reputation of being extremely hot, which it is, but that's only for a certain part of the year. And then we shift into this November period, and it is just beautiful, beautiful weather, beach. Our winter is the time that we go to the beach. So our summer is like your winter. It's a bit confusing, and that's the time we stay inside. So now we're just mm-hmm. coming out of our summer, and now we're the only talk of seasons is going to be very confusing, but yes, I yeah. am fine. <laughs> when when Harmony's in her summer season, I also go inside. <laughs> so That's the right time. That is the right time, Russell. <laughs> <laughs> she, no, she just she just went with it like yeah, total. Yeah. <laughs> didn't I'm even very, phase. <laughs> I'm a I'm the um, the only uh, the only son of a single mother. I'm very comfortable with menstruation, so we can continue having <laughs> and this ovulation. conversation ad nauseum. Um, I just finished reading your Parampara interview, Nia. Yeah. It was super good. 
Uh, did you know that we had Lou on the show recently, Lou Duong? I did. And you know what? I was just reflecting about those interviews and, um, you know, that was really before podcasts became popular, right? And I love right, that Lou yeah. started that. And I remember when he was doing those series of interviews and um, I read them all and it's always really fascinating yeah. to learn just more about quite often like people that we already knew and just people's yeah. stories and and. Actually, I found it quite cathartic writing that. And, and in fact, my husband was just asking, you know, when exactly did you write that? And I said, no, I really remember. It was just before we got married. And um, and it was a really nice process to, to write about my mm. story. And, you know, I, I don't mind talking about myself. And, you know, I'm, I'm delighted to be here to dedicate <laughs> this hour to that. So let, let's keep going. Well, I, I, I have to say, I didn't realize you'd had such a wild adolescence. Like you were really um, yeah. kind but of you know, uh, was, off the deep end was, of it. Yeah, but it was that classic case of the thing is, is, is you know, when you can, you can get away with dysfunction when everything on the surface is appearing fine. And that's mm. what it was for me, you know, excellent at school, top grade at university, amazing career, and everything was on the surface perfect. But, I, you know, I don't think I was unlike many other people in my 20s in this terms of this work hard, party hard sort of thing that was especially with the expat community of Hong Kong. But I do remember thinking that um, when I started taking a step back from that life, realizing that it was, it was pretty destructive to my health mm-hmm. and to relationships and, and, and I'm really happy I was able to pull myself out of it because of the practice at the age of 28. But I mean, you know, routinely becoming, you know, making yourself ill from alcohol because you just, you're the first to the party and the last to leave is it, it, it's not a good situation. Um, and it was taking, it was starting to take its toll on relationships, finances, of course, as well. I mean, you're, you're just drinking mm-hmm. your money away. <laughs> so yeah I, it was only taking that step back deciding to take a month break from not drinking alcohol that book I read responsible drinking <laughs> and the first step it said was just take one month off and I was thinking oh my gosh I can't even imagine I haven't not drunk alcohol on the weekend since I was probably 15 years old um, so I took that step back and then that's when I was able to start a yoga practice because it was impossible to start practicing yoga properly when you're leading that sort of lifestyle, impossible. You're too hungover. You can't get up. Yeah, it's so true. And also your energy, I think, um, is quite, even if you're not hungover, like it takes a couple of days, your body's still processing all of that, you know, poison and trying to yeah. clean it out of the system. Yeah. So your energy is kind of low and it's not really like attuned to high vibration exercises or you you know focusing your mind a a depressive state throughout the week Mm -hmm. and the only way to come out of it is to you know drink again back again yeah yeah, back again on the weekend Um, and and that was actually also realizing the delusions that the mind creates when you're like that and thinking I was a healthy person like thinking that I had my life in control and then realizing, and, and it was this, you know, relationship breakup that made everything sort of spin out of control and realized that, you know, going to body balance twice a week at Fitness First does not categorize you as being particularly healthy. I think, right. you know, like 
yeah, there was a sense of lack. I could feel the sense of lack. It was, I was getting to a point of career was going great. Everything was going great, but there was inside of me was is this all there is. So I was, I was searching for sure. Mm-hmm. So you described like being so blackout drunk that you'd that you'd be I um, just passed out at a party, and I, I imagine those those are quite you know vulnerable states as well. Well, there was that, but also you're in the, an expat environment where you're like in this little cocoon when you live as an expat. So I would basically be able to go out, and if everyone went home, I would just continue out. Oh Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> until the sort of until the sort of sun came up, but um, and then that was the thing is to start practicing Ashtanga yoga. It gave me a reason to get up. I mean, I still go to bed excited to get up to do my practice the next morning. This many years later, and nothing grips oh. me like I'd never experienced anything that gave me that feeling Goodness. before. No, I've only ever yeah. been paralyzed with fear the night before. That's so interesting. <laughs> Huh, that's true. Um, I wanted to ask, actually, you described the, the, the breaking up with your boyfriend, him breaking up with you rather, as the tipping point where you said, I, I, need, some, I need some help. I need, to take, I need to read this book and take a month off. Why did, why did he break up with you? How was that so, um, so troubling? Well, you know, what, when you think your life is going in a certain direction. We've all had this and you have these expectations and looking back on it now was like, you know, I was kind of like deluded actually. And I think actually he saw through that delusion. And in fact, we became friends later on after this breakup and the breakup was such a blessing in the, in the end, because it was that, that, you know, made me take this step back, reevaluate my life and take the break from drinking, start a stronger, start practicing. And then within, I think it was like within nine months, I'd made the decision that I was going to go to India. Um, and of, of course, by that stage, you know, probably we probably could have got back together. But to his credit, he, um, he, said, he, he said, no, you, you must go. And, and I'm very grateful that he did do that. That was my that that was definitely my the, the direction I needed to go in. I didn't know why. I didn't know why I had that such a strong calling. But as time went on, I didn't have any desire for teaching or anything. But but as the time evolved, and then I started teaching yoga and realized I'd really come into myself. Yeah, that that was the direction my life was meant to take. So I'm wow. grateful for it. Yeah. So he really he saw you and he saw someone that was in a really self destructive space and I, I can't be around this anymore. You need to really fix this, but I'm out. Yeah, it was like that. Wow, wow. Yeah, and, and interestingly, still, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, interestingly, what ended up transpiring was that um, when I was in India, and then I did be- have a relationship with Nori, who you know, I think, the, yeah. who yeah, that's right um, from Japan. And he then, after us being together for two years, he became a, a Buddhist monk. And I was actually in contact with my old boyfriend, telling him how I had to let him, Nori go um, right. because he made this path. And he said to me, well, I also had to let you go. 
So um, yeah. it was like, it, that's what happens in life, right? You have these relationships that aren't necessarily meant to be forever, but they're, they're pivotal. You know, they mm-hmm. you come together and they set you on the next part of your life. So these people you always feel appreciative to, even though at the time it's a lot of heartbreak. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it must have been <laughs> devastating to, to for someone to say that to you. Yeah. It's, I'm interested... I want to dig into the story about Nori in a, in a, um, again, but uh, I want to just kind of figure out who you are a bit at this time <laughs> and how you got there. That you're you're in a, you're you're growing up. You're from Sydney, right? I'm from Sydney. And you and uh, you decided to become a, a PR rep. Did your parents do that sort of thing? Is that what you sort of imagined yourself doing? Uh, no, I grew up in a household that was, uh, um, my mother was a piano teacher and a, a potter. My father is an architect. It was a very creative, artistic, um, cultured household, but also uh, a very religious and spiritual one. So my parents were both strong Christians. I went to church every Sunday and I was very religious myself. Um, we were, we were, um, it was a Baptist church. Mm-hmm. So in the Baptist church, you're not christened. You decide when you're of consenting age to become baptized. And so when I was 12, I, um, I said, I want to be baptized. And in our church, we got, you know, you're in the white, you get, I got the whole plunge thing. Mm. I had a lot of like sort of religious fervor in those teenage years. And then I got into my twenties. I went to university. I studied women's studies and majored in women's studies and comparative religions. And I started questioning obviously a lot about the, uh, the dogmatic nature of the Christian church. And so I went the complete opposite way. And that would be the period of the hedonism of the, of the, the twenties that, that happened sort of giving up everything that I'd sort of learned. And then I went to India and, spent time there and basically sort of came full circle and appreciated so much the upbringing that I had and the values that my parents had instilled in me. I had to, I had to go and do my own journey to be able to come back and appreciate that. Oh, like a, like a young Mormon girl going off the city. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that makes sense. I didn't go around knocking on doors trying to convert people. Yeah, so a, little bit, a little bit of a uh, difference. A little bit of a difference. But certainly, I don't maybe want, I'm, when I'm I say thinking I grew of the up, Mennonites. <laughs> when I say I grew up in a religious household, it, I was never. I, my, it was never like, oh, you must go to church. I wanted to go to church. That mm-hmm. that feeling actually. And now I look back and realize like there's so many aspects in my kind of current yoga practice that tie into what I used to enjoy about being in the church which is you know I loved the singing of the hymns and I love the you know it was before churches started having bands in that church like rock bands yeah. like we, we didn't have that yeah. we had a lot of quiet and prayer and and I I, I loved it yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. beautiful and you were also a dancer at this time. You were studying dance intensively. Is it like harmony? Was what? it like a five-hour no, a day thing? No, I didn't thing? think as intensively as, as harmony. I, I, I did it like a, a schoolgirl does dancing. I started when I was four. I finished when I was 17. But it was my life. Like, it was pretty much mm-hmm. most afternoons. The concert's like the biggest, exciting, most exciting thing of your whole life. You live, you know, yeah. your world revolves around it. Um, I think when I was about 12 or 13, my ballet teacher said to my parents, if I wanted to go on to be professional, I potentially could. 
but I knew that was never a thing for me because I was just interested in lots of other things. And obviously, I think as Harmony mm-hmm. knows, I think if you want to be a dancer, you, that has to be the only thing that you want to do. Like you can't imagine doing right. anything else. Well, yeah. I could imagine doing yeah. lots of other things. So, um, yeah. yeah. And then I then I um, met boys and started going to parties yeah. and <laughs> basically became, <laughs> yeah, getting up for the Saturday morning ballet lessons was, getting a bit more difficult in my teen years. So, but the, yeah. I feel the, the beautiful blessing of having that as, as throughout your childhood is um, it's the discipline it instills in you and, and mm-hmm. body awareness, knowing how to work with your body. You're not scared of pain. Mm-hmm. You know that aching muscles is just, you know, part, Normal. part of it. So, <laughs> so even though I had like a 10-year break from when I finished dancing to when I started yoga and you know, I just kind of start from the beginning in terms of flexibility, but I knew how to be in my body. Um, right. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that's the most helpful thing is like with the dancing is I think people often think, oh, you're more flexible or you're more, you know, like you have all this previous experience. And yeah, I mean, your muscles do have a bit of a muscle memory yeah. and you have used your tissues, you know, in a different way than maybe somebody who's never stretched in their whole life. But I think it's also that just that body awareness and you have the yeah. neural connection in your brain already established, like I'm going to move my leg this way. Um, you've already done that, you know, thousands yeah. of times. And so I think the actual movements and the asanas come a little quicker in some ways because you don't have to build those neural pathways. They're already yeah. kind of there, even if they're a little bit, um, you know, covered over in cobwebs a little bit, yeah. <laughs> not used for a while. They're still so those, established. Also, those neural pathways are useful. Uh, and then the other one, neural pathways, you have to actively work to disengage is all the other yes. stuff the dancing brings, right? The performance exactly. aspect, the competition, mm. all of that you actually yeah. have to actively start kind of trying to let go of through the yoga yes. practice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, uh, I I know that Harmony um, also struggled with uh, with body image at that time. There's a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of pressure there to kind of be a particular size. Is When you, when you left dance you were 12 13 14 is that right she said 17 17 right at the 17 17 was that was that ever a, a part of it was there any kind of it's absolutely a part of it and then that's the other neural thing then talking about neural pathways or conditioned thinking that you carry over into the yoga world and the worst in mm-hmm. most insidious part is then it's hidden it's hidden in the yoga world and i've only yeah. come to kind of really understand this Probably in the last couple of years, actually, because I've worked really hard to, I think, heal myself and move out of approaching my body and the way I relate to it in the terms of, like, deprivation, because Mm -hmm. that is instilled with you. I remember being, like, 13, and it was just before the ballet exam, and the ballet ballet teacher says, right, you're going on the two-week diet. I mean, we were 13. (laughs) And yeah. it was instilled in the culture, yes, you do a crash diet to lose weight to, you know. So then fast forward, you're in the yoga world, you're doing postures where it also feels much better if you're a little bit slimmer, right? We've all had that experience. Mm-hmm. And then you've got, yeah. you can overlay, it's not called a crash diet anymore, it's called a fast. 
Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Water fast. Yeah. <laughs> and the master um, cleanse. Mm. Yeah. And, <laughs> the mono and, diet. <laughs> you know, and I was even thinking, reflecting today, you know, it's very common in like Hatha yoga philosophy. Uh, you know, I think it's maybe even in the Hatha yoga predict, because it talks about like somebody's stomach should be one third food, one third water, one third empty. So, so that, yeah, so that that's great advice for somebody that doesn't have like already like starvation sort of tendencies. But if you already <laughs> have got that concept of like I should be hungry all the time because if I'm hungry, I'm burning fat. Like you know, I used mm. to love that feeling of being hungry because I thought it meant it was I was losing weight. So you combine right. those two things, like it's it, it's not a good situation, and it's taken me I think probably now into my forties to realize like. I can eat, I need to eat, and I need to eat to nourish myself. And amazingly, of course, you know, the way the, my body is, you know, completely fine, you know, great shape because you're not in that deprivation that happens when you, mm-hmm. you just hold on because you're so worried about when you're going to eat again. <laughs> right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, there's some interesting things that – um, like psychologically, the the eating patterns of like when you're a, a dancer, you're in that sort of state of, you know, maybe anorexia or, you know, wanting to always sort of have a certain look and the eating patterns that tend to come up when you're practicing in a really like strong way in that strong environment where, you know, your whole days, I just keep, you know, I think of Mysore when we lived in Mysore yeah. and your whole day set up for that like two hour practice in the morning or two and a half hour practice in the morning. And, and all of your patterns of eating are kind of like set up around that. And there is a lot of, um, feeling of deprivation or needing to, you know, stop eating at like 4 PM and then fast until, you know, nine or 10 or 11 AM in the morning. In my store, it was always 2 PM, right? (laughs) 2 PM. Okay. Yeah. I think but, I snuck yeah, in a little uh, late afternoon snack. <laughs> maybe you'd get a dosa at, at Gokul Chats, right? At four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you could that in. But no, I, I um, did that for many years and it made me very miserable and very isolated. And I was basically in my 30s and single and no, you know, I got back to Sydney and I decided to do some internet dating. This is when I'd come back from Japan and I was like 33 and I thought, okay, like I, I would like to meet somebody. I went on eight dates. Not one person <laughs> called me back. Why? Because I said, I go to bed at seven and I don't really eat. And like, who would want? Yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous. I have, I only have sex with my left nostrils open. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I so. mean, <laughs> and then I just was like, yeah, like, get, you know, because I was still caught up of like, like, you know, Nori went to the monastery and then I'm the one living like a nun. You know, right. and then I realized you're yeah. in the world. If you're going to be in the world, be in the world. And then I think that was like my prayers were answered and I was sent, I fell in love with this crazy Chilean uh, guy who just pushed all my buttons and ate meat and drank and smoke. And I was just so helplessly in love that I just had to get on board with that. Um, and it was great. It was such a good way for me to realize you cannot control every single variable so you have the perfect practice. Like what is like mm-hmm. what is that? That is craziness. And so now, you know, mm-hmm. that's not how I live my life now. I, I, I 
enjoy things, I eat, I have wine, I do things in a, a moderate way and I, I don't try and control every aspect. But maybe it's just a, a journey that we all go through when we're in that sort of mythal phase. <laughs> but that's the issue that Harmony and I are having is that um, we we have such uh, destructive um, f- family samskaras that we have an aperitif and then, wow, three days later, we're still drunk. So we're struggling with the binge aspect. I know. But, and, but that's the challenge, isn't it? It's so much easier just to cut yourself off. You know, so much easier. But that's that. We're we're householders. We're in the world. We've got to face these things. And yeah. I, I saw your post the other day, Harmony, about like just doing your practice, come what may. And and I'm the same. Like yeah. tomorrow night, we've got to go out for this. I was saying to you, this big gala dinner. I know it's going to be late. I know I'm going to have a glass of champagne. I'll still get up and do my practice. It'll be a modified practice. I'll do three namaste yeah. standing postures. You know. But I, I yeah. for me, the routine, I keep that routine, though. Um, I'm able to because I don't have children, so I, it's easier for me to <laughs> keep that routine. But I'll just modify the intensity. And that's, yeah. like, I think that's what I was talking a bit about at the, the women's conference is that ability to adjust the tempo of practice mm. is, like, mm-hmm. that's what takes you through into the long term. So pulling well, back, sure. you know, during the, the menstrual – that's why I'm such an advocate of them following a menstrual cycle because it teaches you how to adjust your tempo and, you're gonna, and you need that because you need to be mm-hmm. able to pull back at times and go full throttle at other times and they're all acceptable. Yeah. Growing up, I think I, um, I, I read a lot of Judy Bloom. I think because I was so obsessed with <laughs> menstrual cycles and um, – one thing I feel like uh, I I I feel like I learned growing up is that uh, women have so much more emotional intelligence, perhaps because they're so much more aware of the the cycles of change in their emotions. And I, I, do you think you could you, you could speak to that at all? Oh, for fuck's sake! Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. Hello, God. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Was there was a lot of menstruation in that? That was my favorite. Also, okay, wifey is probably my. She's books. amazing. Wifey yeah. is was a, learned a lot about sexually transmitted diseases. <laughs> um, so I think she got um, chlamydia. You you were actually a teenage girl in disguise, weren't you? <laughs> Sounds like it. No, well, but I, I was certainly. Trying to get in those panties, that's for sure. Mm. See, the, the intuition part I think is really interesting. I do observe that a lot um, at these peak times, like the ovulation time and the, the time of bleeding, is that often, and other women say it as well, like very strong intuition. And the, the nice thing is it's like I can really speak my truth in those times where quite often mm. we're really – always second guessing ourselves and I do this a lot thinking about like what is the right thing to say and you know should I diffuse my anger a little bit and wait till you know in those times sometimes you can just say it as it is which is which is Mm. really nice (laughs) that reminds me of my mom that's funny (laughs) (laughs) what do you think happens like because you've studied like the hormone cycles and sort of these seasons um, you know, what's your feelings like about perimenopause and like moving into this more, you know, different time of your life where the 
oh, estrogen and the progesterone are dropping off and you're not like in that natural sort of rhythm anymore. It's a little bit all over the place. Yeah, I must say one, it's interesting because I came to this knowledge of the menstrual cycles just like it's been the last three years. I've been really following it very closely. And now, of course, I have attachment to my cycle. <laughs> so I'm one, yeah, interested in how I will go as that starts going. But, um, you know, Una, Uma Dinsmore Tully, who wrote Yoni Shakti, I, she, she came to Dubai. We hosted her here. And um, mm-hmm. I was curious, I didn't quite understand why when people say that when the cycle ends, a woman comes into her full power. Like, like what does that mm-hmm. mean? Um, I understand as you're older, you tend to be wiser. Not necessarily, though. Not everyone learns from their mistakes and, you know, evolves. Some people, they get stuck, right? Um, and she explained it really beautifully. So when you are menstruating, you are connected to that outer moon. And it means that you tend to be more outward focused in terms of your other duties as being like a mother and, you know, the other, you, you, you under the influence of the external world. So when it says it comes into your own power, it means you only really, you're connected to your own inner moon, your mm-hmm. own innate inner wisdom. And by this stage mm-hmm. that, you know, your family responsibilities have also reduced quite a bit so you're at the stage where you are able to then really you know share that that wisdom which I feel so strongly about that we have to you know women older women uh, actually any older person should be you know we look up to these people and, and and value them and and not feel like life is like you're receding out but you're actually stepping in I actually think Saraswati is a fantastic example of this I mean, she kind of really came into her full teaching power when she was 70, right? Totally, <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. You know? Like her household duties mm-hmm. were more put to a side and she could just, you know, really teach. She's, a, she's an amazing yeah. woman. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She is actually a really beautiful example of this sort of like full expression of like a very traditional kind of – uh, Indian woman in a sense of, you know, even though she's, she's actually, you know, she's worked her whole life, but her focus was really taking care of her family for like that period of time. And then, yeah. you know, has kind of moved into, you know, what they would call like the Vana Prasta stage or the forest dweller where mm. now she's like kind of giving back to her community, being that teacher, being that sort of, you know, wise, older, um, you yeah. know, sage or crone or, you know, <laughs> guide and, and then, yeah, maybe even moving into renunciation a little bit later on. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's beautiful. I, my first trip to Mysore, I, I lived in her home, and uh, I always felt uh, across the street from the Shala. And, you know, every morning I'd come down, and she, was work, she had the second floor there, and she, would, she was working there. And, I, and I, I would just check in with her every day. And I really, I really started to really, you know, really have an enormous amount of affection for her and really love her. And, and, uh, I, yeah, I just, I, it was so sweet recently. We, she celebrated her 80th birthday and we, we sent in that little video and I just, um, gosh, I think she's just, 
I, I feel like I've always had a, a, a lot more reverence for her than maybe some other people in our community would say, oh, no, I don't want her adjustments. And I, I want to be adjusted by Guruji or Sharap. But I've always just, I, I, I've been I've been put out when people would say that because I really have <laughs> always liked her so much. Well, I had an interesting experience because um, before I moved to Dubai, I was teaching at Joyce Yoga in Sydney. So after the period mm. in Japan, I moved back and... That was amazing for me, to be honest. Of course, Russell, you also connected with Joyce. Yeah, um, um, at Bondi Beach. Were we there yeah. like the same time? Or it was only open like uh, a, a year or two. I think you must have been there first, Nia. Uh, maybe I was. Well, actually, I was. I think Eileen was first. Then Andrew came in after she got fired. And then, and then, and then David Andrew Rose asked me to. In. And then, yeah, and then I came in. Andrew asked me to come in. And so it was just started. We were all substitutes, and oh, it just okay. started. Um, oh, okay, so you were before. You were yeah, before. Okay. Yeah, were you um, there for I mean, a long for me, stint? It was a dream because I hadn't lived in Australia for ten years, and I arrived back, and wow. there was a job for me at a beautiful studio, and I effectively felt like I was um, like I was employed by like the family, like yeah. this is, you know, yeah, it was yeah, that's wonderful. right. Um. And I, I just loved it. I mean, the location was beautiful. Uh, it was fantastic. And then more, you know, now in retrospect, I feel incredibly blessed because I got to, to be mentored by David Roach, who is just an right. absolutely nice. outstanding teacher. And I would assist him in the mornings and I taught the evening Mysore. And I learned so much from him, like so much of how I teach now. And he was so ahead of his time. Like, he was mm. back then, you know, this is 2010. He was the one talking about like, in, you know, he said, Guruji only ever cared about following the vinyasa. So when it came to how you do the posture, that's open to lots of interpretation. And if you want to have mm. a long term relationship with this practice, you know, you can do explore within your asana. And, of course, he had so many other modalities. He brought in his Feldenkrais and his experience as a dancer. Of course, he was also yeah. an Iyengar yoga teacher. Um, so that was that was just absolutely wonderful. Why was I telling this story? Saraswati. Saraswati. Ah, yes. And <laughs> so then during that time, Saraswati came. And, um, oh, yeah. Sonia... The, you know, the owner of the studio said, um, Nia, we need somebody to go and pick up Saraswati from India. And I Fantastic. said, fine, when? And then she said, Tuesday. And it was Friday. Yeah. And, and I right. said, well, I don't know. And I went to the Indian consulate and I said, let me get this emergency travel visa. And I got it. And I flew <laughs> to Bangalore and I met Saraswati and I picked her up and I, she did not need me at all. Like she was like, she was leading the way. She knew that trip so well. And she was saying, I've done this trip many times with my father. I know this trip. And she was like guiding through. And then we're sitting on the plane and she brought her like Tiffin and she's giving me chapatis out of the Tiffin. It was oh, amazing. Oh, wow. But what had happened was that her, the um, Shamila visa didn't come through. So she came to Sydney by herself. So Sonia said, right. right we need you to stay with Saraswati for the next month. Amazing. She was in Sydney for a month. So I was wow. there. So she was like cooking every day and then very not happy with my rice consumption at all. 
Like I was not not enough, right? Yeah. Not enough. Yeah. yeah. This is still when I was like scared of eating carbohydrates, right? So like, sure, yeah, rightly so. Of white rice, <laughs> like, oh, and she was, you know, South Indian woman. She was very skeptical of me. Like I was not eating enough rice. Yeah. So I bought my Your Japanese student is a kind of She had no problem eating rice. So um, so 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 that was very a fun experience. She'd wake up in the morning and make me that lovely South Indian coffee and um, yeah. and then come downstairs listening to her chant on the phone oh, wow. as we drove to the yeah. gala. Yeah, I always oh. remember that. It was really nice. Yeah. So you These lived things, with you know, her for a month? Uh, yeah. Wow. And then you were like her little driver and, and housemate. That's amazing. <laughs> the housemate, I, yeah. I remember um, one time, many right around the same time. Those were wild times. You know, I had (laughs) I had been asked to chauffeur uh, the family around Vegas, and I'd and I'd really studied and researched Vegas and seen what was appropriate. And I found South Indian restaurants in Vegas, done the whole thing. And then I think two years later, I was teaching in the middle of my class, and I got a phone call, and I had to step out of the class. And it was this, um, it was Sonia's assistant, uh, Salima. Yes. And, uh, and she said, uh, Sharat and Saraswati are in Vegas. I said, oh, that's, yeah, I knew. I knew that was happening. I said, well, I'm here with all of my sisters and we're taking care of uh, Saraswati and Sharat and the family. Uh-huh. Great. Well, when they landed, they asked where you were. Because oh. <laughs> Russell does Vegas, as you understand. And uh, where is Russell? Russell knows Vegas very well. You know? And so um, we're leaving. Uh, we're going because um, they only want you. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh, okay. oh, shit. So what we need you to do is go to the airport right now. It's like, yeah. And so then I just, I've, I, I gave my car and my class to my assistant, Sydney, and I went to the airport and I flew to Vegas just that yeah, minute. Yeah, as you do. That's what you do, right? As yeah. you do, right? <laughs> as you do. It was a real, as a real wild time being associated <laughs> with, with Joyce <laughs> Yoga. Those were the fucking days, man. So insane. Now I'm like, I've, I'm just like, now I'm in a, I'm in a, um, you know, one of those massive uh, Cadillac Escalades driving Saraswati around Vegas. Look, yeah. look, Saraswati, uh, cleavage. It's like, yeah, it's very funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's beautiful. I, mean, I, actually, I, was so, I was so content with that job until I fell in love with that <laughs> yeah, right. And then he wanted to go oh, traveling. Crazy. And I was like, yeah. what? And I was like, oh, but I was torn. I was in love. I couldn't say no by that stage. And um, and, yeah. and interestingly, just before leaving, Eileen, they'd got Eileen back in to manage. And she uh-huh. said to me, Nia, I've just realized who would be the perfect manager for the Shala. You should manage the Shala. Like, oh, you know, they need goodness. someone to run it. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. oh, no, I've got this big trip planned because the trip we were doing was really exciting. We, were gonna go, we went to Burma and then Beijing and the Trans-Siberian across to Russia and down there. Like, oh, nice. Yeah, I yeah. To do. 
And so yeah. I declined that and, and that worked out because six months later that, that studio did close down. Yeah. So, so, so that was That's serendipitous. But, and, and then I, I went on this trip and we kind of argued the whole way and I was thinking, I just can't believe, you know, I'm in the middle of Mongolia and you're breaking up with me while I'm in a yurt. Like this is just a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> But oh my god! It Seth, was those are good stories, though. Good times, idea. man. Yeah, it was his idea to come to Dubai. I didn't have; mm. it wasn't my plan. And I arrived here, and I liked it as soon as I got here. And I realized well, this yeah. is where I'm staying. Like I've been living as an expat. I've been doing the traveling teaching. I never felt that settled back in Sydney. My heart has always been in the east. I like being close to India, and it's coming yeah. up. Yeah, coming up to ten years now. And I met my That's husband. That's so incredible. Here, my business, yeah. and so he's not the Chilean. No, your husband's in a different <laughs> no, no, my husband's the Zimbabwean. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of like the United Nations. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, he he was born in what was Rhodesia. Yes, and he was. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. Rhodes is a is a great scholar. Yeah, and yeah. Rhodes is a scholar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rhodesia. And now it's called Zimbabwe. And we, we still go back about once a year. Yeah, we love visiting it. Okay. Well, I, I'm really enjoying your kind of cyclical, cyclical way of telling stories. There's, I like to <laughs> sort of create more kind of linear narrative. But um, oh, I, was going I wonder if we could... Yeah, right. I'm sure. I wonder if we could go back to the beginning again. Um, Let's go to the middle. You're, you're on your because <laughs> you're on your fast in Australia in Sydney. Oh dear! And right at the end of it, you uh, you just decided to walk into an Ashtanga yoga class. No, I wonder, I think, why, yeah, no how did that happen? Yeah, no. So it was not in Sydney. This is the thing. I started practicing in Hong Kong. So that's where Alex comes oh, in. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's where Alex Medine yeah. comes so, in. So it all goes okay. back to that fitness first, you know. Bless those gyms right. that run those random Ashtanga classes. And there was a, yeah. a lovely Chinese teacher there teaching. And then and he could see I was really getting into it. And he said to me, okay, there's another teacher that you really need to go to. And and he directed me to, to Alex, yeah. To Alex. And he was at the uh, hotel at that time. Yeah, was he or was he at Pure? The Mandarin. The Mandarin, yeah. Mandarin that was a good gig. Yeah. You get that job. Yeah. yeah. It was beautiful. And so what was that like walking into Alex's class? And he amazing. didn't break anything, did he? No. No. Um, it was like, <laughs> I I still remember it very vividly. I had only ever done a half primary in, in the sort of gym. And he basically just guided me through the full primary on that first day. Wow. And yeah. I remember... I wasn't used to the heat in the room, you know, that first experience yeah. in the Mysore room. And I went to work so high, like my nervous system was just, uh, it was so high. Um, and then I sort of crashed and I think I got a terrible headache and I had to go back. I had to go home. I was like nauseous and wow. you know, the practice was working. Yeah. And that I just couldn't wait to be back. I mean, I, I re- instantly remember like feeling like, like a light had, like I, something had woken up inside of me. Something had woken up. Mm-hmm. And then just, you know, I was looking at people thinking, wow, everyone's asleep and I'm awake. Not in the egotistical way, but just feeling like there's some something had, going on. Yeah. You had, you had taken the red pill and then everything was through the looking glass for you. Yes, yes. It was, uh-huh. it was a powerful beginning. Um, 
And I had pretty much, the funny thing is, is I'd already sort of started investigating my store. And I, and I said to, to Alex that I was thinking of going and he said, yes, you, you know, go. You must really? Go. Yeah. But that's a quick turnaround just to jump in with both feet like that. Yeah. I mean, I'd start, so I'd, I started middle of 2005 and then I was in Mysore by March of, or no, I was in India by March of 2006. That's crazy. But so that was your very was, first time? Hmm? Was that your very first time in India? Yes. No, second time. Oh I went on a trip to Rajasthan. The Shala wasn't open so in March. So I did. I went yeah. one month to the Shivananda Yoga Ashram down in Kerala, which I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And I was planning yeah. actually to just to be like a sort of hopper. I wanted to go to there. I wanted to go to Mysore. I wanted to go to the Bihar School of Yoga. Um, you know, I wasn't exclusive to Ashtanga at that stage. And then when, yeah, right. when I got to my store and I was so lucky, I was started, I started practicing with Sharat when I was there. So it was just 25 yeah. of us. Um, and I was like, no, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to go anywhere. Like this is, this is it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then you met Nori there, the Japanese. You're Japanese. Trip. Yeah. Yeah. And you two fell, fell in love. Yeah, really. It was, but it was really like now looking back, it was, it was a very, it was, a, again, one of those relationships. You come together. He was very much guiding me spiritually. Like, he was the one who introduced mm-hmm. me into Buddhism and to Vipassana. And he was a very sincere, deep, spiritual aspirant. And, mm-hmm. yeah, we were on that path together. It was, it was really beautiful. Yeah. But then he, you, you said that he became a, a monk. And I think they have like vows of celibacy, those people. The, the tradition he came in, went into is the forest monk of Thailand, which follow the same oh, yeah. exact vinyaka as the monks of the Buddha. It's 227 rules. It's the strictest lineage. It's also considered like the oldest unbroken lineage, like because, you know, they, they do all that chanting in Pali, which is the original language mm-hmm. of the Buddha. Yeah. So what had happened, he started doing the Vipassanas and he started just getting a real calling to go deeper into meditation and to find a teacher. And I was saying to him, like, why can't you just follow that Indian system of, like, being the householder, <laughs> then you go into the forest? And I always remember he said this to me. He said, if you found gold, why would you go for silver? Because Nia's a nice girl and you want to hang out. <laughs> yeah, but this is, but you know, Russell, the, the wonderful thing is, is, is that my thinking at that time, thankfully, was I, I, I knew Nori. I knew his personality. I knew this was his thing. And, you know, everyone else that knows, I mean, Harmony, you knew, you knew him. Everyone who's met Nori, it was not a surprise that he became a monk. Yeah. <laughs> it's still devastating for you personally, though. I mean, it's like you um, might as well have gotten into yeah, a car it, accident. It was, yes, you're right. It's grief. It was like grief because yeah. he called me when I was in Japan and said, I'm having my um, my ceremony. My new name is this. So my, wow. if, and if you ever come to, if you do ever come to visit me, we can't be in the same room together by ourselves. So he, and he had I think he even does like a burning of like old clothes. Already when we're in Japan, right, he was yeah. giving away a lot of his things, like just getting rid of mm-hmm. material things, getting ready. And yeah, it was, it was like grief. 
Yeah, it must have been especially hard, like, because you were kind of together while he was transitioning into this yeah. new space. And so you kind of had to, like, bear witness to I that. Like, yes, yes. Yeah, it's hard. It's a hard it place hard. to be. It's not just like, okay, bye. <laughs> and interestingly. Yeah, you had to hold the space there for him. And back to the menstrual cycle, my, my cycle actually stopped for two years. Oh, Wow. And yeah, I had all wow. the tests and whatever, but it was something yeah. inside me just went into like a hold, you know. Mm. Shock. Mm-hmm. And, and so you actually did, you kind of, you, you didn't really date for quite a few years. You didn't even, no, you really because, sound like you were grieving deeply, the relation, the loss. Yeah, but also I was also channeling a lot into the fervor of being like a new teacher. You know, I, I, I'm, I did mm-hmm. some assisting with Tarek in Tokyo, which was fantastic. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. You know, that was a big, big program you had there. Like I was doing like 30 oh, yeah. Kamasanas a day. I was like a Kamasana. Yeah. He was like, they're all yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, like, so wait a second, Nia. I, I subbed for him around that time. And it was, it was a massive room full of guys, massive. full of people. Cool. Is that right when you came and, and visited would, me? Because I have, I have yeah, I have this exactly. memory of you staying exactly in my right. apartment and I have no idea why you were there. <laughs> I tell you exactly why. I was on a visa run. <laughs> oh. Okay, so I came into Japan on my tourist visa, and I needed another. I was going to re-enter. I was actually really nervous about it um, because I hadn't sure. yet got my working visa. Um, I ended up getting sponsorship through the, the studio in Nagoya. But yes, I came and I visited you, and we had that craze. It was Buddha's birthday. Do you remember this? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And but you took what, me. But why me? I don't, I don't even know if we knew each other. <laughs> well, obviously, I just needed someone close by, and you were the closest. With an, yeah, that's right. Yeah. With an apartment. So, yeah. so okay. It's not too far. The flights were cheap, so I thought he'll do. So, um, yeah. And then <laughs> we did, you like. You were a great host. You were a great host. You took me to this mountain where there was a Buddhist right. temple at the top. And they were like, welcome, you're here, it's very auspicious, it's Buddha's birthday. <laughs> and we couldn't just walk up the top. We, we had to do full prostrations all the way. You remember that? Yeah, that was intense. That was like yes. tens of thousands of prostrations like, we had to like, do. It was like two hours or something. I was like, this is not yeah. what I signed up for. <laughs> 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 but it was, it was worth it once we got to the top. It, it was a nice view. Wow. Yeah, it was good. You burned good so time. much karma that day. Yeah, yeah. a lot of karma. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's that, good. That was then. I was, I was really trying to establish my life in Japan and – I came back, yeah. I moved to Nagoya, and I started a MISL program there, and I put a lot of energy into that, and I started learning Japanese, and I really was very committed, and I was committed until I wasn't committed. I was committed until one day yeah. I woke up, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't be here for a second longer. I have to leave. I was yeah. suddenly, I went. Yeah, I'm, I'm really surprised I didn't, I didn't leave uh, my wife and go with you at that time, <laughs> considering what we were going through. Like that would have been... Yeah, get out of town. That's what I should have done. What was it in you that that like what what switch flipped that switch? What was it that all of a sudden you woke up and was like, I can't be here. I have to go somewhere else. And where did it you was go? The sheer like 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 the the craziness that comes from intense loneliness. Um, mm. And on that the, 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 like the last month I was there, I went to a beautiful place called Koyasan. 
So it's a temple complex up out of Osaka, and it's where they're famous for the Zen Buddhist very extensive um, vegetarian menu. It's like dish after dish mm-hmm. after dish, and you have it. You sit in these the beautiful, you know, all uh, tatami mats, and there's all these temples, and it's just like idyllic. And I was in this like big room by myself, and they were serving this elaborate banquet. And next door, I could hear this like big group of people like laughing and having fun, and I was just there, like. Alone, alone, alone. <laughs> and you know when you realize wow. like it's lovely to be alone when you choose, but when you realize like mm-hmm. you're alone because you don't have really a choice anymore, sure. then it's not so lovely. Mm-hmm. And I just suddenly also just suddenly I had an intense desire to go back to my own people and my own culture. And I just realized like I'm externalizing something that is sacred. I'm thinking this is sacred. It is sacred, but at this moment it is not sacred to me. What would be sacred mm-hmm. to, for me would be sitting in the back garden with my best friend having a cup of tea. That would be sacred to me. Right. I need to go back yeah. to my tribe, in a sense. That was the feeling yeah. I had. Yeah. Japan can be tough when you're there as a, a single woman, and especially in a city sure. where if you're not speaking a language for days on end, people not even um, wanting to have eye contact, and you're trying mm-hmm. to learn the language, but you, the best you can do is sound like a five-year-old. No, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm hungry, and that's about it. Not even I, I'm tired, hungry. Yeah. The experience of a single female Western woman, let me say, is very different to the experience Mm -hmm. of a single Western man in Japan. In Japan. Yeah, I've heard that about Japan. Korea is very, is actually, that was an intense period of isolation and Mm. uh, a lot of people, a lot of women not making eye contact was my experience of Korea. Mm. You should have gone to Japan. That's what I was told. I was told to go and have my cake and eat it too. (laughs) Your thousand virgins (laughs) waiting on you. You know what? Paradise lost. Um, I'm so appreciative that time in the sense of like, it built so much resilience inside like I would wake up mm. and do my practice I would cycle to the studio in the snow I would sit there and I would wait I would have one student two students three students yeah. like you know what it's like <laughs> yeah. program, and you just do it day in day out day in day out and and then yeah. of course you announce that you're leaving then the program gets busy finally yeah right? finally. And, then, Boom. and then everyone has this big party for you because they say in Japan they love the sayonara party that's when right. the, the the guard can come down and you can let your true emotions out because the person is leaving Right? right. So the sayonara yeah. parties are really, so you're like, oh my gosh, everyone's so lovely. And actually, I do have all these friends, but I've decided to leave. And, but it, it was the right decision. Yeah, yeah it was the right decision for you. Mm. And so, what drew you to Dubai? How did you end up starting Ashtanga Yoga Dubai? Well, well it was uh, the, the, the Chilean got there, right? The Chilean got her there, but what what kept you there? What kept me there? I started off with a a studio, hired me. Um, I stayed there for one year, and then I decided to rent space in a dance studio, and then we outgrew that, and I rented space in a hotel. And then I I was very happy with that model. It was very easy. You know, the hotel looks after all the cleaning, uh, everything. I just go in there for the hours. Actually, I I really was modeling it off Tarek because that's how Tarek was doing his thing in in Japan. Yeah, 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 right, yeah. Um, 
And then, uh, yeah, 2017, uh, there was a problem with one of the – I'd ended up having two spaces by then. I had one in the marina end of town and the downtown end. And then there was a problem with one of the spaces and they, they, premature, they said, oh, we're closed for the summer and you, you can't use it. And I suddenly realized like, oh, this is not such a great model because I don't have control. Um, right. And I just suddenly came up with the idea, I want my own space. And it was like something just took over me. And interestingly, I was, I was 40 then. And it was really, it was like a birth. It was like birthing mm. a child. It was also like yeah. a nine month gestation. The idea came. Boom. And then you get excited and then you get terrified and then you realize it's time <laughs> yeah. to leave. It's already happening. They've started building. Like it's going, it's going. It's out of your control now. And then it comes yeah. and then there's the elation and then you realize, oh, my gosh, I've got to look after this thing. So it's quite, you know, I, I, it I, is. It, I know exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I birthed a child and a chalet at the same time yeah. and the process was very similar. Oh, my God. Yeah. The shallow hurt a little less, though. <laughs> it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that you want actually want to do at the same time as have a baby no, and no, a shower. No, no, no. Not, not recommended, but it happens a lot because, you know, when you're pregnant, you have so much creative energy Creativity, and you're really in that, exactly. like, like bringing things into being phase. Yes. And so it's, it's interesting because a lot of pregnant women end up, like, creating a business yeah. or like that opening a like shallow especially or... a bad idea to do at that time <laughs> there is something with the age i mean david roche said that to me he said you know that that time yeah. of coming into your 40s you is when you really start to want to yeah. like leave a mark in some way so it will be mm-hmm. when often a lot of women feel like they okay they do now they do really want to have a child they want to do that and, and for yeah. me right. it, that, it was like no i i really want to create this and to be honest, I haven't looked back, and I and I absolutely love it. It's a it's a joy to me. Yeah. It hasn't felt like a you know. Some people do have businesses that feel like a ball and chain, but it doesn't to me. I I love it. Yeah. That's so can you good. can you talk about that decision, or maybe it's not a decision. Maybe it's a calling to not have a child. Because you've mentioned yeah, that, that before in passing that that was that was a that was an important for you. Well, what happened was I was getting into my late 30s and I started feeling like I think this ship might have sailed, right? And the, uh, mm-hmm. I didn't have as I wasn't, I was always like, if it happens, I'm fine. If it doesn't, I'm think, I think I'm fine. But you never really know, right, until that final decision. Mm-hmm. And then um, my friend introduced me to Mark. It was a blind date. And she said, you, you know, he's, he's older than you because Mark is 17 years older. And he's got, oh two, goodness, I, yeah. I don't think he wants children. And, you know, at the moment since she said that, I said, yeah, I think that's, that's fine. So I proceeded with the yeah, date knowing that, right? I knew that. Yeah. But then, of course, it's still the final moment because actually for our first wedding anniversary, um, Mark had a vasectomy, which I'm speaking public about because I really think it's a wonderful thing for men to do to be responsible. Um, <laughs> Can I just say that my feeling about the vasectomy is I heard that when you ejaculate, it doesn't feel the same after the vasectomy. I think you can Mark, go back can and Mark read those Judy Bloom books. Surely she's got a book on No, I heard this from a guy that it, there isn't the same kind of solid that comes out. It's more watery, and I'm really concerned about that. But also I'm sterile, so I don't have to worry about it altogether. So but go ahead. Can you answer? That, does, that, what, what would Mark say? Well, I won't speak for him, 
but I would speak to me. Yes. That final point of realizing, okay, this is really final. Um, that, that was like, okay. And then I realized like, you know, once your life goes in a certain direction, it goes mm. in that direction and it's going to be mm. great. It's going to have ups and downs no matter which direction mm-hmm. it goes. In fact, I, mm-hmm. Mark and I always say, you make a decision and then you make it work, basically, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And now the further I am down that decision, um, the happier I am with it. To be honest, I, yeah. I couldn't imagine doing what you did, Harmony, if the, the, the baby and the Sharla. Like it's taken, yeah. I have to give everything to this. And I remember, mm-hmm. actually, I saw this interview with Iris talking about older women, you know, Iris, yeah. who's a woman is a hundred and she wears all the fat, chunky jewelry. Yes, she's a real yes. icon of mine. And there was a documentary mm. she did. She also decided not to have children. So her mother said mm-hmm. to her, you know, when I had you, I felt like I couldn't juggle everything. Like I had to sacrifice certain things. Mm-hmm. And Iris decided sure. she likes to travel. She likes to work. She wouldn't be able mm-hmm. to give everything that she needed to that child that she decided not to. I feel mm-hmm. like that a little bit as well. I felt like mm-hmm. there's only, I, I can't imagine it. And so if I can't imagine mm-hmm. it, then I'm, life has taken me in this direction and I'll just embrace that. But I'm so yeah. lucky. Yeah, I think I have, that's. I have stepchildren that are grown up and they're like wonderful humans yeah. that I get to interact with and have fun with and I didn't have to do any of the work. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is it is a funny feeling when you suddenly you suddenly realize okay well I'm this isn't happening for me and for you it was uh, you know a particular kind of direction and for me it was just not not being able to conceive and it's a it's it is a sense of suddenly I'm in a flow of things and yeah. I'm I'm observing this thing go in this direction yeah. and this is the way it's going this is the way it's and, going. You have to just strap up for life, right? And yeah. just and just yeah. go with it because that's what else are you going to live your life screaming at the sky otherwise? Yes. It was exactly. interesting. I uh I was at the uh chai stand one day with Eileen Hall. Mm. And this was before um before I had Jedi it might have been like 2006 or 7 or something. And uh and she said to me, "Oh, are you thinking of having children?" And I said the same thing, sort of, you know, the same in that same space, like, well, you know, I'm not really sure if it happens, then great. If it doesn't happen, I'm kind of okay with that. Like, I'm okay with that too. It's, it was never something that I really like yearned or craved for. Yeah. And uh, like, especially not at that stage in my life. And, uh, and she said to me, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty big, it's a pretty big decision. It's a pretty big change to your life. It's probably something you should really like think about and consciously decide. Oh, that's so Eileen. Yeah. I love it. Know, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Eileen. Yes. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Maybe I should really like think about this. Think about like, your life, sweetie. Yeah. Wake up. Yeah, and 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 that's yeah. right. And but you know what? Like that's great advice. But what about all the people who do consciously decide and yeah, the universal who it doesn't work out that way. Right? So how much yeah. Yeah, can you yeah. consciously decide? But you certainly yes, you can put yeah. your energy in certain directions. But I, I long ago I had read something that Amma, the hugging mother, had written about yes. how you know I mean she's called mother, you know, yeah. you know she's not a, a mother, a physical mother, and I that just really struck a chord with me that you know we yeah. all have a, 
mothering, maternal, nurturing aspects within mm-hmm. our being. It doesn't mean we have to have our yeah. own physical children. So, yes, yeah. as I say, like my, I birthed that Shala. I give it so much love and so much yeah. energy and, and it's, it's a similar, it's a creative expression, which obviously. Totally. You know, and you also birthed well. the textile companies. <laughs> I That's know. huge. Well, now I just joked that now I opened the Charlotte just to have a place to put my um my quilts, my bed quilts. <laughs> it is more more of a hobby i i would like it to really i would it's a business i would really like to grow but i've had to put it a bit on the back burner well certainly the last year or so because of covid because of a lot of the production yeah. stopped and all the supply chains got stuffed up in india um but it, it just often takes a back seat to to nalaya house to the shala yeah because that what ended up I created space. It's a two-story warehouse space in an industrial area. So it's kind of like a an industrial area that's becoming gentrified, like a sort of Brooklyn of New York sort of style. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And I have the Ashtanga Yoga, but um, I decided to start having Iyengar Yoga classes, and that started with just like two classes a week. And now we have five certified Iyengar teachers and four wow. and five classes a day. So this is the Nalaya house you're talking yeah, about. So now, is, yeah. Like I would say probably like the biggest shala for Ayenga yoga in the UAE. Wow. Sure. So we have a shala yeah. upstairs and um Iyengar downstairs. And uh Amazing. Yeah, they I feel they, You have Kundalini so, too, right? Yeah, and now we're getting having Kundalini, we've got a fantastic Kundalini teacher. Um and some of her other teachers and we also also have Hatha classes and I I Amazing. emphasize basically Probably the, the, the focus is all traditions that are like living traditions that have come out of India. The, I would say mm-hmm. the lineage based. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's sort of sometimes like a uh, sticking point with some people that are very yeah. like traditional, sort of one stream Ashtanga yoga, very like only Mysore, follow the method. Can you explain sort of your process of opening that up? Yeah, it's um, it's a good question because for sure this um, this opening up also happened during the time when Ashtanga was going through that really rocky period. Right. <laughs> so is there a rocky period? <laughs> <laughs> so now I look back on it and I realize, like, um, you know, two of my biggest influences, Eileen and David, of course, were both certified Ayenga teachers before. Okay, so I already was had Eileen that. certified in Iyengar. Oh my goodness! Yes, yes, yes. So I already wow. had like experience of Charlotte's where there was a block, there was nice blankets, yeah, yeah. Like, a strap. <laughs> yeah. And like I say, I was very influenced by David in his style of teaching of saying, you know, integrate mm-hmm. other ideas. You know, keep the practice, keep it alive. Follow the vinyasa. Follow the methodology. Right. In terms of like certain alignments and things, you know, work with what works with your body. So I was very inspired by him. Um, I also took a break from Mysore and I went to, after many years of wanting to practice with Rolf and Marcy, um, I, I got to practice with them a couple of years ago and I enjoyed both of them very much. I learned a lot from Marcy. Um, mm-hmm. I enjoy, of course, Rolf is Rolf. And um, hmm. so for my own teaching, I made a decision a couple of years ago that I would be I guess what you would say a non-traditional Ashtanga teacher, but I'm realizing maybe <laughs> I'm not actually so different to everyone else. And 
in the sense that I yeah. learned, you know, students use props and I, you know, modify mm-hmm. things and adapt things. But to be honest, I always just keep going back to when why we were on our training with Sharat in 2010. Every question we mm-hmm. asked yeah. him, he would say, it depends on the student. Do the best That's thing right. for your student. And then he would just say little things like, oh, if they can't catch, you just get one cloth and you just put it around there and help. Like yeah, just yeah. make an intelligent decision for your student. So <laughs> that's I what re- I do. I remember even said like, oh, if they're worried about headstand, they can go to the wall. And we were all like, oh, wow. Oh. I remember. It was like remember? a bomb had gone off yeah. in the room when he said, yeah, the let them use the wall. wall. And then – and where our mouths all dropped, and we thought, where the fuck are – is this like the Twilight Zone right now? What's going on in here? That is my compass. I always just go back to that, and, and I say, I'm just going to make the best decisions that I feel for my students. So, so part of that with the, with the Naliah House was like I want my students on, you know, a moon day, do a yin yoga practice, have a restorative mm-hmm. practice, learn yoga nidra, learn pranayama, like – be well-rounded mm-hmm. yoga practitioners. Have lots of tools in your yogi toolbox um, because yeah. that's what's going to see you see you through. Um, I do feel, though, um, I do say to people if they're not sure about, like, can I go to the Iyengar class one day and a Shtanga class one day? I say, no, that's not suitable. If you're practicing a Shtanga yoga, you need to commit to coming in three days a week and you need to do that for a while. And I only let... I only advise people that are pretty established in their practice to then do an Iyengar yoga class because it takes the maturity of a mind to be able to grasp. I always remember Dr. Robert Savota said this is a sign of intelligence to be able to hold two concepts in the mind at the same time. Okay, yeah, you know? absolutely. And it can create confusion. There are alignment, big yeah. alignment um, differences and a huge difference in the methodology. But if you're somebody yeah. who's been practicing Ashtanga Yoga for 10 years, then probably, yeah. you know, you really have, you really enjoy an Iyengar Yoga class. Mm-hmm. You can integrate some things more easily without being confused, yeah. And as it happens, there's only a couple of students that go in between. Most people find that thing and, um, and, right. and I'm certainly very happy to be Iyengar teachers to do a bit of like foundation work and then they can send the mm-hmm. students upstairs to me if they like. So, yeah, the students are free to, you know, do what calls them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about, like, what your practice actually looks like now. And, and you know, what is it that, you know, what, is it, what does a day look like for you? Yeah, I have to say, like, in my 40s, like, my body has never felt stronger and better um, I do do twice a week. I have a personal trainer and I do some, I do some weights work, which I could never, yeah. never imagine. And it's not something I particularly enjoy, but I had, some, yeah. I had some SI issue from like this hip mm-hmm. instability and this is, this has helped that. So I feel like strong and steady. I'm much more interested in trying to find the stability in the asana. Like to me, like if I do my Urdhva Dhanurasana and I can like do it with like really nice strong legs, I I really don't care how close my hands walk into my (laughs) heels, you know. And the other thing that I've noticed is that I can pretty much do any asana I want when I want to do it. Like I don't Mm -hmm. have to, like 
I I only do third series maybe once or twice a week, and I can do mm-hmm. everything that I need to do. I can do full mm-hmm. intermediate, like I can just I I can do it. Um, yeah. And I think it's just from like those years of doing it and yeah. doing it and doing it. And so now mm-hmm. I do like maybe intermediate, like twice a week. And I practice like three to four times per week because I make mm-hmm. time for doing this training as well. Um, mm-hmm. So that's my asana practice. And that varies each day. So I'll do like at least third series. I'll do full primary, uh, full primary and I'll do full intermediate. But what I've also added in, and this has happened just in the last two years, is a chanting practice. And this oh, nice. to me, yeah, this is my non-negotiable practice. So this will be like if I can't, you know, fit in, you know, this is what happens every morning. Because for me, I've fallen in love with now Sanskrit and Vedic chanting, which is really funny because I was one of those people that was like trying to skip chanting lessons in my school yeah, yeah, yeah. to go and eat dosa, like yeah. You know, when I was, you know chanting, those lessons didn't come mm. into the last few years, right? Like when we first yeah, yeah. we didn't have that. And my the I mandatory to, lessons. The mandatory lessons. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> I used to enjoy my soul to be really social. It was a time to catch up with people. You know, when you're leading those really Absolutely. like um, solitary lives by yourself, yeah. teaching yeah. my school classes. So I'd be like, okay, meet you at Malari Dosa at eleven, and then I'd be like. Oh, God, I've got chanting first. Right. <laughs> you you know? know, what I noticed, and I think there was a study done, is that the STD rates in Gokulam, like, <laughs> dived sharply once they introduced the afternoon chanting. I don't know. Yeah, did you I see really that study, Harmony? No. no. They did a sociological study. Yeah, there was. I don't think so. And also preg- the pregnancy rates, yeah. the abortion clinic right. emptied out. Yeah, right. Yeah, Almost. that was weird. <laughs> I, I, I used to spend really, a lot of time I, in that clinic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was never that into it when I was in Mysore, but I realized actually something was sinking in because then when I came to it um, through a wonderful teacher, Shantala, who has um, beta studies I've been studying with now. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons why I resisted chanting, it sounds funny, but I've always had a bit of a speech impediment with M's and N's. Like I would mm-hmm. say, phenomenon. Did I say it right or wrong? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Phenom- like I don't know. It takes a lot of effort. Phenomenon. So, so you yeah. know, with Sanskrit, there's a lot of M and M mixing up mm-hmm. and changing. So, And then I just suddenly realized, like, that's really silly not to do something just because it's, like, hard. Like, then, yeah, you know, that's do right. it, you know, get over that. And now I just love it. I, I mm-hmm. This is what I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 20 minutes every morning and, and I'm learning new ones and, to me, I read so that you were doctors. chanting. You were chanting like the names of the Devi, yeah, the goddess. This is my this oh. is my gateway into it. Was the, is the Lalita Sahasranama? Yeah, it's the one thousand mm. names of Lalita Tripura Sundari. Yeah, so this, this was actually something that something awoken again. It was like an awakening that happened, and. Um, it, yeah, I feel the same way now about chanting that I felt like when I started the Shranga Yoga, that like, wow, this thing, it just ticks so many boxes, you know, it's breath work, it's meditation, it's work, I mean, yeah. you, you can feel the nadis open. I feel it's so incredibly powerful. But the thing also for me is I've always been quite a bhakti at heart. Like, just remember I have that like mm. Christian background, you know, we're all quite bhakti. Mm. So the chanting has That's that right. devotional aspect. So. I mean, yeah. to me, the two things, they, they go beautifully together. And so I'm trying to do more and more chanting in the shala as well. 
I mean, I'm like uh, a beginner with it. So um, often I play a recording of my teacher so they're actually hearing the correct. <laughs> wow. um, Beautiful. But, but many students are also enjoying, yeah. You also I, had this uh, connection with the goddess before, like for a long time you've had it because I remember time. you introduced me to Sally Kempton's book like back in 2008 maybe or something, which was the um, Awakening, yeah, Shakti. Awakening Shakti. And yeah. I love that book. And so every time I see the book, I always think of you, of course, because you yeah. were the one who turned me onto it. It's been a long yeah. time of internalizing a lot of those practices. Mm-hmm. I'm only actually now speak, starting to talk more about it. And um, we just, uh, a couple of weeks ago over Navratri, I suggested to the students, uh, those who would be interested, to jo- join in the Shala at like 5.30 a.m. as like a, as like a special Navratri sadhana. So just like, nice. a, like, a kind of like a reboot for the practice, uh, to come in and kind yeah. of like, do what I, I, this is what I was going to be doing. I was going to be chanting these, the certain sections from the Devi Mahatman. And I just said, come in, join me. Um, and then you continue on your practice. And it, it was a really beautiful period. So I'll continue that. Um, yeah. Nice. I, if, nice. if I were to title this episode, I'd probably call it coming full circle with Nia Ferrier. It's really, <laughs> yeah. there's a, lots of little loops happening yeah. here. And well, I love that, sure. um, yeah. uh, Russell, because of course the menstrual cycle is all about a circle. That's exactly right. And very much tied to the goddess energy. <laughs> it is. And this is my ethos for practice as well. I'm always saying to people, it's not like this. Okay, like this yeah, is such a yeah. patriarchal kind of like idea, you know. And people what are you get, doing with your hand there, Nia? Not, not a line. Like not a line. Linear trajectory. I'm saying right, that's not yeah. how your yoga works. You go in a circle, and people think because they're not like having like a noticeable sort of maybe physical improvement, mm-hmm. or or they've had to pull back. Mm. That, that means they're going mm. backwards. But pulling back mm. doesn't mean going backwards. That means like going deeper. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love Patabi Joyce used to say, You go back to go forward. Did he say that? Yeah. I've never heard you go back. My goodness. Then go forward. Going back. I feel like it has that kind of action to it, right? Like you kind of have to go back in order to sometimes go forward. We would say to each other just my my crew, like one step forward two uh, one step forward, two steps back. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's how the practice felt. Sometimes it feels like that. Some people got to go two steps forward, one step back, but not (laughs) not me. You're on the other way. Yeah. (laughs) And how have you been supporting? Supporting women particularly in the practice. That's sort of been a focus of yours, I think, the last few years. Yeah, I just decided to start like speaking a bit more publicly about like there are anatomical differences. And I think Mm. like a lot of times, um, particularly in the Ashtanga practice, that we women are working like really hard and it, it really needs to be recognized that, you know, just because if you can't lift up and jump back, does not mean you're not doing Ashtanga yoga. Like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the very effort of just like trying to lift up and jump back is great. You know, I always tell my students, it took me five years to be able to just like lift and kind of clear the floor. And I look at my body shape, you know, I've got, you know, wider hips, narrower shoulders. Physically, that's different. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I, I talk about, you know, I, you know, I, 
not to make people feel self-conscious, but also when I'm also talking to my assistant teachers, like notice that, like look at somebody, they're trying to do bakasana, they've got like tiny, 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 tiny wrists, you know, the strain that can be on there, you know. So take these mm-hmm. things into account. And the, the postures are going to look different. Some people will feel worried if they sit in Padmasana, oh, my knees aren't coming down. Well, probably because there's a little bit of fat around the thighs and the bum, which there should be. That's great. We're women. That's where we're meant to hold our fat. So your knees Mm -hmm. aren't going to be touching the floor like they are if you have, you know, a a super skinny leg, and and that's fine. I agree. There should be a bit of fat in the thighs. (laughs) Yes. I'm right on board. Yeah. Yeah. You like that on the thighs. Something to hold on to, really. Yeah. No, I think it's important because – it's really, um, you know, as a, as a female practitioner, you often feel, I mean, especially when you're younger, you can really feel like, well, I can do everything that the boys can do and better. I can do, you know, yeah. I want to do everything that the men can do. And I know I really felt that. And I really like worked hard to you're be able to do everything better than the men could. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm pretty fucking competitive. Um, <laughs> but then like at a certain, at a certain stage, you know, I, it, you're really sacrificing a lot too. Like I'm not eating a huge lunch and I'm not like able to, or you know, dinner. I'm on like a pretty strict diet <laughs> to keep my weight lunch. down to like, you know, 110 exactly. pounds or less. Yeah. And if it goes up to 115 or 120, I can't do some of those things. Yeah. Right. And so it became that balance between like, again, what we were talking about, like sort of uh, eliminating a lot of pleasure in a sense from your life or even just like a normal yes. um, routine and ability to like enjoy your life to do yes. this asana practice and yes. make it, it look make or feel powerful. Yeah. Yes. Or you can enjoy your life and take pleasure in things and have the asana help support your life. But maybe it's not going to be like a floaty uh, acrobatic type practice as much. But I would say what I have noticed, the more that I've like uh, uh, eating in a way that is nurturing and sustaining, the the, the, the better my body is feeling. Yes. For sure. Yeah. Um, but, yeah the but, more white rice that I eat, the better <laughs> I feel. <laughs> but also just explaining that, that pulling, like what we were saying, that taking the step back to go forward, that pulling back during the time of yeah. menstruation to rest is not going to set you on the back foot. If anything, you're going to emerge from that feeling rejuvenated. And when I did mm-hmm. that, you know, I did the podcast with Adam on this whole topic, and I had a lot of people message saying, Oh, I'm so glad because I, I used to always feel guilty for taking that rest. And it's like, no, I mean, uh-huh. this is the beauty of being a woman. <laughs> you know, yeah. embrace it, you know. Yeah. And you were saying on the uh, panel too that you're, you've really integrated like a full rest during those days where you're even like maybe stepping back from teaching. Like a red tent scenario. Kind of, yeah. yeah it I try and do the red tent as much as possible. And yeah, like I say, <laughs> it's very useful if the husband knows the agenda and I can say, no, this is the yeah. first day of the period, you have to get your own dinner or I'm just, you know. Like as much as possible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I like that. I, <laughs> Put it on the calendar, big red X. I kind <laughs> of get, make most of the meals anyway, though. Oh, <laughs> wow, wow, wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, I try. I really do pull back into Because you know what it's like running your own business. You can really overcommit all the yeah. time. There's a lot of meetings. There's a lot of yeah. talking. So I mm-hmm. try. I, I don't take meetings 
during that time, at least for the first day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing to emphasize is that it's not like you have to not practice yoga. You're just not practicing Vishtanga sequences involving the use of bandhas. So practice yoga forms that are conducive to that downward flow. Restorative yoga, yoga nidra. Although I actually do take a complete break from any formal practices because during Mm -hmm. that beginning of that flow, I think to me that is the yoga. Like that's what my body is doing. Like, I don't need mm-hmm. to be doing anything. Like I'll just, I'll yeah. just be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. That's so nice. That's so beautiful. And I think it's, it's helpful too for, you know, I think is, I don't know, I feel like women particularly are susceptible to like this guilt, like we're never doing enough, we're not being enough, we're not, you know, we, we tend to sort of fall into that guilt pattern I don't know if it's like the way that we're raised as as girls to you, be socialized and you, you know you people really give each other a hard time. <laughs> we do. Yeah. And I think our mothers yeah. give us a hard time too, you know. You get a lot of guilt from the mom to like get you to do things and um so I think we're really susceptible to it. So like just allowing yourself to like not feel guilty for taking the time off, for listening to your body, for you know, nurturing yourself or listening to what you need rather than feeling like, oh, I should be doing this or I'm not yeah. living up to whatever high standard you've set for yourself. But it's really important. This, I'm still very, I'm, when, when I teach and teach students and my assistant teachers, I'm actually very strict when it comes to maintaining sadhana, like maintaining that mm-hmm. commitment to a, like a regular sort of, uh, you know, practice. Mm-hmm. What that what I believe is the way that that might be done each day can can vary, but mm-hmm. having that something that anchors you each day is right. what, what I see is just invaluable to your you know your mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. we, and we recently had a wonderful um, teacher, Dr. Kavita Chanayan, come and visit the Shala, and she's the author of Shakti Rising, so also another yeah. great book to look at. Um, yeah. And she's a cardiologist, so she bridges like her world of being a medical doctor with teaching tantra and Ayurveda and yoga, and so much what she talks about—the ability to manage your prana, okay—and mm. how you manage your prana is through lifestyle, and how you manage lifestyle is through that rhythm and that routine. And honestly, that is why I continue to teach Ashtanga Yoga because I think it's one of the best entry points into a life that has a nice rhythm, a routine that lines up with the circadian rhythms and, and, that, and that's how you bring about um, help. Um, yeah. So to me, I, I want people to come in every day, not because do I care whether they can, you know, jump back, lift up and put their leg behind their head. I don't care at all. I care that they are there. Yeah. And of course, you know, this mm. as well. So that yeah. I care because if they're getting up and coming in at seven, it means they're making a decision the night before about what time they go to sleep, what time they yeah. turn off yeah, the right. one time you turn off the phone. Right. This is a pet talk yeah. for yeah. you, Russell, right? Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be nice. It's, it's, like, it's like she's seen into you know, your inner world. She of, can tell. Yeah. She knows what's going up on. Late yeah. and being on your phone until yeah. all hours of the night. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I, that's really, really important and really like great advice too, that it doesn't matter so much what you're doing. It's just showing up for yourself and cultivating a little bit of routine in what you're you're doing with your life and your body and your mind every day 
So I have this little saying is like, when you wake up, like, like, well, no, I, I normally say just don't, don't ever really listen to yourself. I know it's not what new age people say. They say like, you should always be listening to yourself. But if I listen to myself when the alarm went off, like, I mean, what's going to happen? I, I mean, I, Nothing would get to happen if I were just was listening to my right. friends all the time. So don't listen to yourself. And then my student added a nice caveat, which I think is great, until you get onto the mat. So get yeah, the that's mat, good. Which I think is great. There's that, all that like chatter that is trying to distract you from doing your, your practice, whatever that might be, whether it's a shunga or your meditation or whatever. You know, forget, yeah. don't listen to yourself at that stage. Get yourself there. Then you yeah. can start listening to what is needed and adjusting the yeah. tempo. It's beautiful. Yeah. And normally, what yeah, what, that's what real I wisdom. What, what I say to myself at that point would be nice to have a little nap here, just on the on the. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, at least you got to the mat. <laughs> yeah. Well, Nia, you are such an unbelievable treasure. You're really turning into a kind of witchy Nancy Gilgal for our, our generation. Riley I'm Hall. really I'm really impressed. And I just I want to thank you so much for, for talking to us about all these things. How thank could you. someone find you if they in the desert if they're fascinated by this talk and they want to find you out and search you out? How could they get to you? Well, Start with Nia Feria Yoga. This is, I now finally okay. have my own Instagram. For many years, I just used to have a Shunga Yoga Dubai. But now, now I have one because I have things that I like talking about, like these topics that I feel mm -hmm. I, I, I keep them for my personal ones. So, so that's the place for me. Yeah. Okay. And of Perfect. course, Shunga Yoga you. Dubai in terms of classes and whatever. So thank you for yeah. And so we could, people can find you physically in the, Dubai. in Dubai, which is in the yeah. UAE. Yeah. And can they work with you online? Is that possible if they can't get to the desert? They can. And I know there's I, giant sandworms there too, which is not <laughs> hor horrific. <laughs> but um, if they just want to go online to I do avoid the Quetzalcoatlus, yeah, I do teach two micro classes <laughs> a week online, which I really enjoy actually, and that's been a nice break for the body as well, not to be in the room every single day. So yeah, I do twice a week okay. at home. Before we go, how are the gorillas? What gorillas? What are you talking about? She was. <laughs> Tell us you've got I, six I, cats. Do you have two gorillas? <laughs> no, I, I did. I took a trip. I took a group of students, of nine students, who went to Rwanda for five days and went trekking and saw the uh, mountain gorillas. Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, really oh, amazing. Really fantastic. Did they, very did they bite your bum? You almost, they no. could if they wanted to. They really could. They're that yeah. close. But they're really not interested. They just, they just want to eat bamboo. They eat and eat and eat. And one... Um, young gorilla woman she was eating 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 and then she just finished eating and just rolled back and then just kind of drool came out the side like because they kind of cemented so it's almost like she was drunk on the bamboo it yeah. was very sweet one young gorilla woman oh, i'm not sure i've heard that phrase that's before so beautiful. that could be another title for this show is one young gorilla woman <laughs> It's like a, it's, I think that's a sort of a bucket list dream for a lot of people. So yeah, I to eat yeah, I so much bamboo that you would just no. lie down with drool off your face. That's <laughs> on my bucket list. To go see the gorillas. I recommend it. Yeah, I really recommend it. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show today, Nia. Thank you. And so nice to see you. And we're transiting through to India. Dubai is a good place oh. to go. We certainly will. 
yeah, yeah way, finest I airport in the to. world. And so we'll stop. It's a beautiful airport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Both. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the breaking waves There's a heart